That be all about bracketing all things Disney. I be Christopher Bowersocks. And I be Kyle Skinner. And we're but your humble hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode we shall chart a course for but one Disney topic, draw ourselves a bracket, and set sail into the madness to seek out which thing be truly the best. Join our crew on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or drop us a message in a bottle at Mouse Madness Podcast at gmail.com. What's up, guys? Uh, yeah, thank you, I was Captain. Gonna say. <laughs> I was going to say, how are you going to transition out of that voice there? Uh, thank you, Captain, for that introduction to this episode of Mouse Madness. That was phenomenal. Yeah, that was. Thank you for uh, putting that it on something. your show. Yeah, <laughs> that was something. <laughs> well, uh, we're back with episode number 44. Here we are. We're kind of steering in a little bit of a different direction. If y'all remember, we did Best Mighty Duck mm-hmm. probably six months ago. One of my personal favorite brackets. We're steering back into the waters of live action, and we're venturing into... One of Kyle's favorite movie franchises of all time. It's time. I've been waiting for this moment since I was born to talk about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, my absolute favorite franchise, saga, whatever, ever in my life. And I'm just stoked. We're going to be talking best pirate of the Caribbean. We're not debating which movie's the best. We're, we're not debating animatronics in the rides we're not debating the rides in the parks we're talking the characters from the movie franchise which is the best of the caribbean Uh, and to help us with this uh we kind of crowdsourced a guest here i put out a tweet from my uh, personal twitter asking if anybody else was a big fan of pirates and we have our new friend marissa joining as our guest host marissa how's it going it is going perfectly swell but, you know, I'm just very happy to be here. Yeah, we, we're not in Spoonful of Sugar quite yet, but I need you to go ahead and describe to the audience exactly what your cup looks like right now. Oh, my gosh. So I was telling Kyle earlier that I was going downstairs just to make my Spoonful of Sugar, and I was like, I need a cup. And I just opened the cabinet, and this comes up. It's Jack Sparrow. Oh. With Davy Jones and this like floating little pirate skull with the <laughs> glitter, like straight out of the 90s souvenir cup. <laughs> I don't even know that this cup existed. It just was there. And I'm like, I'm going to use this. It's, Where did that so come here we from? Go. What is the origin of that <laughs> cup? I don't know. I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. But it's a thing. It's. I will put it out on my Twitter later. Oh yeah, but we're gonna, we're gonna have it, to share this. Uh, this like clip. this is a thing. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. It's it. Uh, it's it. And so Marissa happens to have this in her cabinet because Marissa also happens to be a huge Disney fan. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes, I am. Massive, huge. Like I was telling him also earlier that whenever my brother comes in my room, he says, "I've walked into the wonderful world of Disney." So, here we go. I've when did everything. you fall in love with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? I would probably say, obviously I was very young, probably like 
when the first movie came out, I saw it in theaters with like three of my friends back in the day. And I was also a huge like classical music nerd. Oh, uh, yeah. With composers and everything. And we had to research like John Williams and a bunch of other people. Obviously, John Williams didn't score this film. And that's okay. That's fine. But then Pirates came out, and I just, it, the music ties in that whole film. Yes. And I think that that's such, like, an important thing with a lot of these films is that that classical music and the scores that are in that film ties in the emotion of the story of everything that is happening with the highs and the lows, the funny jokes and everything, even, like, the running, the little skip that everyone does, <laughs> and, and like, swaying when you're drunk and all this other stuff when you have a good drink in your hand and Tortuga, like, all this other stuff. And it's just, it pulls everything together. And so when I was, like, studying, like, a bunch of music, because I went to kind of, like, a performing arts like they really emphasize on that it wasn't like a full performing arts school but they really made you want to be involved in that type of like atmosphere so we were tying in music and film and everything like that so that's when I first like really got into these films and obviously like being a huge Disney fan going there my entire life I was like finally a franchise that is going to be part of a ride and based <laughs> off of a ride like that's cool i thought that was really like huzzah moment for disney so yeah big time big time well you brought it up um drinking some drinks in tortuga chris it's time to talk about our spoonful of sugar what are you sipping on this week well uh i was feeling extremely pirate after binging all five Pirates of the Caribbean movies in very, very short succession. Um, I have rum in a glass. That's it. Yep. It's just rum. That's it. This is a rum called Santa Teresa 1796, which is a Venezuelan rum. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what the official boundaries of the Caribbean is, but at the very least, Venezuela is Caribbean adjacent, so... Um, this is a, this is a dark rum. It's a Solera. It's kind of that classic, like spicy. It's got some cinnamony, vanilla, nutmeggy kind of taste, uh, top shelf stuff. So you can drink it straight, sip on it without feeling like you're going to retch after you drink it. So, um, I've also got my Vanderbilt Commodore's hat on. I've got my oh, tropical button up shirt. I haven't shaved in a couple of days. I'm feeling <laughs> extremely pirate right now. Kyle, what have you got working? You already know that I'm bringing the rum as well this week. I am drinking a Smuggler's Cove grog. Uh, this is just half an ounce of fresh lime juice, half an ounce of Demerara syrup, which I didn't have, so I used simple syrup, and two ounces of rum. The rum I went with this time is Smith & Cross traditional Jamaican rum classic um, it is it is it's it's imported out of london so it's probably one of those like we we make it in london but call it jamaican so it's not as authentic as i'd like to get to but it is navy strength so uh this is a true grog that i got <laughs> rocking here and this first episode could get out of hand real quick on my end so uh yeah i'm feeling it i'm also wearing my uh we wants the redhead uh, Pirates of the Caribbean ride shirt. I'm 
I'm in it. I'm in it to win it here. Marissa, what do you got in that Davy Jones Jack Sparrow Cup? All right. So, being the Pirates fan that I am, I wanted to take myself to the Tortuga. So, a basic person like me always wants a basic drink. So, I call this the Tortuga Claw. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. here we go. You start with your cup, put some ice in there, mm -hmm. do whatever you want, but myself, I have to buy the variety pack because I like the lime and the raspberry, so you have to get the black cherry and the grapefruit. I've gotten very, very clever with my drink-making skills lately oh. because I didn't want to waste the grapefruit and the, and the black cherry, so what I did is that I started with the grapefruit, but then I added in some strawberry raspberry lemonade, but then topped it off with, of course, pineapple rum oh oh my goodness that is genius that is genius that is fantastic not wasting any resources mm -mm. nope we are not we are being resourceful we're gonna have to drop that time. in the discord uh yeah. trader sam's thread because man you're on it, another level i'm telling you it is it is good that sounds it delicious. is a good and fun time Something that I would order at Tortuga, the Tortuga Claw. <laughs> Perfect. Before we get into our main topic for this bracket, we have an email to read. Yes, we do. And this one comes from our friend Mandy. Mandy says, hi, Chris and Kyle. First, I want to say I'm such a big fan of the hot takes, even when I vehemently disagree. The rum's already kicking in. <laughs> you truly make Monday a day what I was actually look forward to. We're keep we're gonna keep it moving on. I <laughs> you truly make Monday a day I actually look forward to for that sweet new pod to drop. The I wanna be like you remix gets me hyped. Second, appreciated the flora, fauna, and merryweather representation in the last bracket. Great sidekits who are often slept on. Third, if a best Disney park song bracket is ever in the works, which I can guarantee you it probably will be, uh, I would love to debate. This pandemic has me listening to Walt Disney Records, The Legacy Collection, Disneyland, and Walt Disney World official album daily. I turn it up for Xavier Atencio and the Sherman Brothers. And fourth, in honor of the Disney Plus Hamilton drop, I offer you this Hamilton and Muppets mashup. It is a YouTube link where it is the Muppets performing Hamilton, and I uh, will tweet it out for everybody when this episode drops, so check it out. It's pretty. It's silly. It's Muppets. It's great. Um, yeah, thank you, Mandy. And if you guys want to write in to us, you can do so by emailing mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Kyle and Marissa, let's get into this topic here. So uh, as we said, we're talking best pirate of the Caribbean, but we have a couple important things to note here. This is, like I said, a lot like the best Mighty Duck bracket. It kind of falls closely in line with the best dog and best cat bracket as well. So, bad character, good pirate, good character, bad pirate. We're going to have to have all those conversations here. Definitely. And I, I, I think for me, too, um, I was considering not only what it is to be a pirate, but how pirates are classically represented in cinema in general and how closely some of these characters might align within that kind of uh, schema but also uh if they don't how does that affect their p 
pirate representation. So there's a lot of ways we're going to be able to go with this one. Marissa, to you, what makes a good pirate of the Caribbean? Obviously, a pirate of the Caribbean obviously has to have a bold personality, has to have that ish of, oh yeah, you just look at them or see them and they are a pirate. They walk like a pirate, they talk like a pirate, they have the look. They have to have it all. And they have to be bad too. It's not just like a eh kind of thing. Like, what is a pirate? You have to be that bad pirate. They're evil, they're terrible, but you love them. <laughs> for some reason, just like I do with a lot of these characters that we're going to talk about. So, Yeah, definitely a lot of moral dilemmas in play here when we're talking about the choices <laughs> these characters make. Uh, and That's in true. some ways, like my enjoyment of the movies as well. I'm kind of like, is this... <laughs> Who should I be rooting for here? And is it okay that I like this guy? And with every great bracket, we need a great demographic to survey to get our seatings. So our interns are still hanging out in downtown Disney, which recently opened up. And they got us a pretty appropriate demographic, Kyle. They did. So uh, if you see any sort of pirate merchandising at any of the Disney stores down at the parks, they're generally near a sword. Usually it's a that's the go-to pirate memorabilia at the parks, which is honestly unfortunate. I think they could do a lot better with the, the pirates merch, but I guess we'll take what we get, which are plastic pirate swords. So our interns scoped out the crowd to see who walked out of the World Disney uh, with their kids having just bought pirate swords. Um, I mean, when you see the these folks walking out and you approach them and you're saying hey we want to do a we're doing a podcast on the best pirate of the caribbean can you give us some of your picks there are instantly those who will rise to the top always the jack sparrows the will turners the elizabeth swans so it turns out that within the survey we have a very very top heavy bracket there's some big hitters in the top uh eight here and you know, it's going to be tough to break them down. These kids and their pirate swords. I know I've just now in the last three or four months become more aware of the distance I have between other humans. But for my entire life, I have put six feet of space in between me and a child <laughs> with a pirate sword at Disneyland because only bad things can come from that. It's why why give your kids something that they can swing around in the pre-show of Phantasmic, you know? Like I'm just trying Every to set time. I'm just Every trying to time. set up. I don't need to get hit in the back of the knees by a plastic sword. That's just not part of my Disney vacation. Well, Kyle and Marissa, we had tons of pirates to choose from here. And of course, not every single one of them is gonna make our field of sixteen. So we had a ton of great Pirates that missed the dance. Kyle, what are some noticeable absences for you? Let me rattle them off for you. You got Tia Dalma. She turns into Calypso. She's a huge mythical force within this entire universe. You have James Norrington, who technically isn't really a pirate, but he does become one for a little bit, but then joins the Navy again. So he's out of here. Cutler Beckett. He 
acts like a pirate. He has very much pirate tendencies and even participates in slave trade, which we'll dive into. But he's uh, he he's awful and not always super memorable. And it's always kind of hard to remember this guy's name, especially if you're just the casual Pirates fan. And then, of course, Chris, you got Jack the Monkey. Jack <laughs> the Monkey is a great pirate. I mean, he doesn't do a whole lot. He's except in every for, movie. Like, he's steal. in every, he's in every movie. movie. Just screaming all the time. Just screaming, snatching necklaces, being undead. Um, so the, those are some very notable figures in the universe that miss the dance. What are a few for you? Well, first I want to comment on Jack the Monkey. Jack the Monkey is a survivor, which <laughs> a good pirate is someone who survives anything. And Jack You're the right. Monkey is just that. Cutler Beckett is like a legal pirate mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> one of the most absurd scenes in all of Pirates of the Caribbean is a Cutler Beckett moment when his entire ship is blowing up and there's like shrapnel from the boat flying everywhere so and he's good. just like completely unharmed. Like so wouldn't good. he be impaled in the face by like a, a plank being blown apart or something? I don't know. Probably, but Probably. I think he deserved the fiery death that he got. True. So a few noticeable absences from this bracket for me. Anna Maria, who is in the Curse of the Black Pearl. Mm-hmm. Mercer, who is Cutler Beckett's right-hand man. That dude is cold as yeah, ice. stone-cold killer right there. He, like, shoots a woman in the head. <laughs> Captain Teague, Jackie's daddy, doesn't really do a whole lot, but he's a pretty chill, laid-back guy. I like his, his general pirate attitude. The fact that he's retired and just keeps the code. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty cool destiny for a pirate. Scrum, who becomes kind of like a Gibbs type in the last two Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's like a keeper mm-hmm. of information and I think a really underrated pirate. And then Philip, who is not a pirate at all in on Stranger Tides, but I think he's a really interesting character to have in the mix. He's like a little religious boy amongst all of these terrible, terrible people. And I think it adds some interesting tension. Uh, it makes you think about some interesting themes when you're viewing these totally. pirate movies. Totally, totally. Marissa, I think we kind of rattled off a lot that didn't make the dance here. Um, does any of these stand out or any characters that you notice that we might have left off that come to mind? Um, I definitely agree with Captain Teague and Monkey Jack. Those two are, when I saw this list, I was like, all right, let's look at this and then see who missed it. And those were my top two. But then also I thought of the third movie when you bring in all the pirate lords Mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. So it's like Mistress Chang, when you actually look into her history, she is She's pretty gnarly. Yeah. She's pretty gnarly yeah. lady. So she's one. Also, Sisumbaji, all those other, just all the pirate lords. I was I was surprised that people forget about the pirate lords. Like, those are the OGs. They're it. I will say that um, if you're not a hardcore fan of the franchise, that kind of pirate's lord scene, you forget which movie it's in, and it kind of just sneaks up on you. <laughs> That is true. That is true. So I'm not but, surprised. But yes, you're right. Those are some pretty strong pirates within this Caribbean. Chris, you know what time it is. It is time to announce our bracket of 16 for the best pirate of the Caribbean bracket. Cue the dramatic music. 
And here we go. Coming in at number one, Captain, Captain Jack Sparrow. Here at the number two seed, it's Hector Barbosa. Coming in at number three, Will Turner. At the number four spot, it's Davy Jones. Coming in at number five, Elizabeth Swan. At the number six seed, it's Joshua Mee Gibbs. Coming in at number seven, Pintel and Rigetti. At the number eight seed, it's Angelica. Swinging into the number nine spot, Sao Fang. At the number 10 spot, it's Armando Salazar. Coming in at number 11, Karina Smith. Shooting his way into the number 12 spot, it's Marty. Coming in at number 13, Mr. Cotton. Number 14 seed, that's Henry Turner. Coming in at number 15, Bootstrap Bill Turner. And at the number 16 seed, Edward Teach himself, it is Blackbeard. Chris, this is a uh, heavy hidden bracket. The top half is heavy hidden, but there's some sneaky ones down at the bottom of the bracket there. There are so many characters in Pirates of the Caribbean, and <laughs> I'm kind of like on the fence about whether or not I like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. And I think part of the reason is because there's just so many characters to keep track of. You have mm-hmm. people missing entire movies and then coming back, people who only get the first three, people who only appear in one. There's just a lot of characters to talk about, and I'm really excited to dive into it. Marissa, who are some of your favorites you see here? Um, When I first got the list, I obviously will go to Jack Sparrow just because he is the face of the whole franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, another favorite of mine personally um, that are kind of in the middle, Pintel and Rigetti. They're hilarious. They are some of my favorite guys in that series. Um, probably go with Cotton also. Sneaky. So sneaky. Sneaky in there. But, <laughs> you know, I, other people would say otherwise. But, you know, he's just, he's just there. He's there. He he brings the team together. I don't think that people realize that. Oh, they about to realize. They about to realize. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Let's hop into the first matchup here. It is number one, Jack Sparrow versus number 16, Blackbeard. So... I think it would be really, really hard and take a really, really long time to develop an argument for Jack Sparrow just right now off the bat because he's in five movies. And no pun intended, he's kind of all over the map in all five of those movies, (laughs) both in his strength as a character and his effectiveness as a pirate. So uh, let's start with Blackbeard and see what we can figure out there. So Blackbeard, I was a little bit confused by at first little note i had not seen the last two pirates movies on stranger tides or dead men tell no tales ever so i watched them in preparation for this episode i have seen the first movie like countless times i've seen the second movie maybe 10 times and the third movie like twice i remember not really liking the third movie and that's why i didn't continue with the franchise So I had no idea what was going to be happening in these. And when I got to meet Blackbeard for the first time, I was really confused because I thought he had telekinesis powers. 
And right. I didn't realize that it was his sword that was doing that. I thought he was just like a psychic, <laughs> like waving, like a Jedi pirate. And I was like, okay, uh, I could do fish people. I, I can't do telekinesis pirate. Like that's just a little, I'm out. I'm out on Blackbeard. So uh, once I like realized that it was the sword, I was like, okay, mythical object. I, I buy that. That's kind of when I started liking him as a pirate a little bit more. The way he's introduced is kind of cool in that mm-hmm. you hear the crew talking about him, and it's like his reputation precedes him. He's this feared pirate. He doesn't even have to be seen to command an entire pirate crew. Uh, they fear him, and they should. He's a powerful guy. He's one of the more ruthless pirates in the franchise. A lot of these pirates are kind of in the gray area when it comes to are they good or are they bad blackbeard is just a, he's just a terrible person and in mm-hmm. the climax of on stranger tides he has the opportunity to save his daughter and he reaches for the chalice with the mermaid tears to save his own butt yep so this guy has no moral fiber whatsoever ian mcshane great performance as blackbeard i really mm-hmm. like the pirates of the caribbean tradition of casting Actors with a strong theater background, like a stage background. Uh, People that are classically trained. Jeffrey Rush is incredible. Ian McShane's great. Um, Bill Nye. Blackbeard is kind of interesting in that we saw him first through a Disney lens on the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. He was the captain of the Wicked Wench originally before he was replaced by Barbosa in 2006. A uh, little fun right. fact, Paul Freeze was the voice of the Blackbeard animatronic on Pirates of the Caribbean, who we all know as the ghost host in the Haunted Mansion. So I will give some bonus points to Blackbeard for the Haunted Mansion connection. <laughs> this is kind of an interesting matchup, and we'll have a few of these throughout the bracket. Jack Sparrow totally. a- and Blackbeard actually went head-to-head on screen. Mm-hmm. And so we got to take that 1v1 stuff into consideration. And I want to ask you guys what you think. Do you think Jack intentionally switched the chalices? Yes. For sure. Cuz he kind of I think so. He kind of like made it seem like it was an accident and he's such a bumbling idiot a lot of the times that you're yeah. not really sure. It's kind of ambiguous, but I interpret it as yes, he did it on purpose. It's because he at the very beginning of the movie, he talks about Angelica and how she has this reputation of being like a liar and always lying. She yeah. she has a hard time like actually telling the truth and and showing what she actually wants and needs. And so I feel like that was just a plot device callback for the end where he can get both like quote unquote revenge on Blackbeard and Angelica at the same time mm. by giving them not what they both want by lying to them. Oh, very interesting. Um, that being said, I have Jack here pretty easily just because Jack defeated Blackbeard and also just what Jack means to this franchise. Way too important for him not to advance here over the 16 seed Blackbeard. So I'm going Jack Sparrow. Yeah. I'm going Jack Sparrow as well. I think um, when you were talking about the 1v1 actually in the movie, part of, in my opinion, being the best pirate is being able to 
not only like think quickly on your feet like a lot of pirates need to make quick decisions all the time and how effective they are in doing that and jack's one of the best at that um but where it uh is blatantly jack and not blackbeard is that they're both captains and i think that a good pirate captain truly does stick to the code in which they are going to do the what's best for their crew at all times and with blackbeard he was willing to kill his first mate in order to have eternal life and that's not that's not very admirable and even pirate captains want to be admirable you look at barbosa and you look at jack who want these reputations of being good pirate captains so while uh blackbeard in the just universe scope of pirates is everyone have a drink in their hand is iconic uh (laughs) jack sparrow has to move on here for us uh so marissa do you have any sad parting words for blackbeard or were you going to go jack sparrow too oh i was definitely going jack sparrow there was no doubt in my mind and as like history looking at blackbeard like who he actually is i'd be like okay yeah he's pretty cool pretty cool pirate but on the other hand we're looking at the movies yeah and jack sparrow exactly. is far more superior than blackbeard in these films and i just finished like right before like we started the, everything so i watched the movie that blackbeard is in and i couldn't get through it <laughs> i barely got through it really wow it was pretty terrible oh yeah. my goodness and that's my that was my least favorite out of all oh, of oh gosh oh what no. are you talking uh, I couldn't do okay, it. Okay, we'll save that discussion for when it needs to happen. All right, in this next matchup, we have number eight, Angelica, versus number nine, Sal Fang. Uh, Angelica is Blackbeard's daughter, who we just ousted in the, the first round there. Um, as I kind of alluded to, she's very cunning. She's historically a liar. Um, she uses that ability to lie and trick people to get what she wants and what she needs. Um She's a fantastic fighter, just swordsman in general. She She's able to impersonate Jack. So we're introduced to her impersonating Jack because they're trying to find a crew to go discover the Fountain of Youth. And she's great. I mean, as far as pirates go, she's not the traditional pirate that you would think of. But the way that she holds herself throughout the movie, like she's one of my kind of favorite characters within the universe um that that doesn't have to stay the entire saga you know like it, of that movie i had a lot all of the issues but angelica definitely wasn't one of them um i'm just glad they didn't give her like weird superpowers and like you know she was fairly a normal human being one thing that is kind of a theme that runs through all of these characters is like what's their ulterior motive like a lot of them aren't doing it what's best for the group some of them are and we'll get to them but a lot of them have other motives and i think that's part of being a pirate as well if you're a captain you definitely want to do what's best for your crew but you're doing that in order to get what you need and want um, a lot of these people like angelica have these motives that are self-serving i so chris you just asked us a question I like do we think that she actually wanted to save her dad and like die at the end of Stranger Tides like 
I feel like she almost used that as an excuse to make sure she was safe to get there and then was going like Jack was falling back in love with her and so she knew that he would save her if needed like what did so, you guys take away from it I think Curse of the Black Pearl is a top three Disney live action movie with Mary Poppins and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I think On Stranger Tides is the second best Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oof. And part of the reason I think that is because they throw in this religious aspect to it. Okay. And that's just my personal experiences and personal background. I love when... Any type of franchise throws in a religious element, whether that's like calling to real life religions or like using fictional religions to say something about humanity within the fictional world. So I interpreted um, Angelica's relationship with Blackbeard as like her trying to do good works to achieve salvation. So Hmm. no, I don't think... Otherwise, she would have wanted to save Blackbeard, but there was this very interesting, like, enlightenment theme happening in on Stranger Tides, which I think was accurate historically to the time that that movie took place. Yeah. It was like a bold, bold strategy to throw that in there, and I think mm-hmm. it did confuse a lot of things, and I think this is one of the things that it confused was the relationship. Um I don't think she had an ulterior motive. If it was an ulterior motive, it would be um, just for her own personal feeling of like, like I said, salvation or uh, doing the right thing or being a good person. She, I don't think she necessarily had the love for her father that she wanted to have a relationship with him or see him save. She wanted to, to save herself. If that makes any sense. See what you're saying. Let's see what you're saying. Marissa. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I watched it like right before all of this, so it's fresh in my brain. Where I agree with Kyle to where at first I was like, This girl's like kinda under the table sneaky. Like she's very smart. Mm-hmm. And she, she no one should mess with her personally. I wouldn't want <laughs> if she if I saw her on one side of the street, I'd walk the other way. <laughs> for sure. But I don't think that personally that she was fully committed to that idea. I think she was kind of like thinking about it, like, oh yeah, I should do this and I should save my dad. But I think when she got there and she was talking and looking into his eyes and he like, no, take the chalice, take the chalice. But deep down inside, like she, we already know that Jack and her had a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. So she knows Jack more than a lot of people. So she knows how he is. So I feel like she knew that Jack had something up his sleeve. And that's how I saw it, where I was like, you know, I feel like she's not fully committed to this, but she says she is. But if it happened to her, it happened, where she was going to let fate take it into her own hands and everything like that. But I still feel like she was relying on Jack to be like, oh, yeah, like, take the left or right chalice or whichever. Well, I appreciate the two different takes. Chris, (laughs) yours is... Yours is very interesting to me because I always found that uh, the the religion aspect they want you know they wanted to dive into it in the third movie when uh, um, was it the second movie or the, it was was it, it the was, second one it was a combination between the second and third uh, Rigetti had the he was reading the Bible yeah, which I really Bible. got a kick out of mm-hmm. and yes. I think I think it was trying to say something about 
is living for eternity worth living if you're heartless? And right. they just did not do a very good job of like hammering that in at all. It was it was mm-hmm. definitely the third one, I believe, because then they see the Kraken and then Jack talks about how the world's a lot bigger. Uh, the world's not bigger. There's just less in it. Mm, sort yeah. of like mm-hmm. y- it, anyways. So, yeah, love that. Love that take there. Let's move on to Sal Fang. Sal Fang is one of the pirate lords. Um, he has been camping out in the Philippines running a bathhouse. Um, he has the map to the end of the world, which brings you to Davy Jones. It also is kind of like a key. So you have to figure out exactly how to get to Davy Jones locker through this map. He has it. Um, so we're introduced to him by Elizabeth and Barbosa and crew going on a rescue mission to save Will. They definitely know that Will's captured. They just I think they definitely know. They just don't know how. Turns out that he's literally either really, really good at holding his breath <laughs> or he's a fish. Um, so it reveals that he's been in yeah. the underwater in this bath for a good five and a half minutes before we see him. And uh, Sal Fang uh, essentially joins the crew to go to leave the Philippines, run away from the Navy. They're going to go get Jack. He has a grudge with Jack because Jack insulted him long ago. Um, and when they find him, uh, essentially they, the crew wants to hand over Jack after they make it out of Davy Jones locker and Sal Fang dies halfway through the movie. Yeah. His ship gets blown up and he makes Elizabeth the new captain, which makes her the next pirate Lord. I, uh, I wish Sal Fang didn't die. Because I think, like, he, his character was such a badass. And, like, actually, there's a lot of terrifying people on this list uh, as far as, like, quote-unquote villains go. And I don't think Sao Feng was a a villain. He was, but he isn't. He's an ally to the group, but he's also in it for himself, whatever. But I would have loved if we, just kind of like in the Star Wars world, we got a little Sao Feng action where it's, like, we're going to branch off and, like, explore how jack wronged him i'm not saying that i need another jack sparrow saga to spurn off from this but like if we understand that then we have a lot more backstory to influence how this third movie went down i really like sal fang i think that here unfortunately like sal fang just suffers from dying early in the movie and we don't get to explore his character super in depth we know that he hates Jack <laughs> and we know that he believes in the mythology that is pirating. He know he believes in this Calypso figure. He thinks it's Elizabeth at one point. Um, so he's, he's a solid pirate within that world, but I, we just don't get to see enough of him to really dive into his pirate ways. So by that I'm, I'm defaulting Angelica moving on to the next round. I think I agree with you. I have the same opinion on Sao Feng. We just don't see him do a lot of stuff. The one thing I will say about Sao Feng is he does have an awesome hideout in Singapore. I think if I was going to choose to be on anyone's pirate crew, it would be Sao Feng's, simply (laughs) because I really enjoy hot tub saunas and steam rooms. (laughs) Here is a major, major discontinuity in relation to that, though. Pirates are dirty people, and... Having a bathhouse as your hideout 
is a huge advantage because you can stave off diseases that develop from having poor personal hygiene at sea months and months and months on end. And yet all of Sao Feng's dudes are super dirty. And so is he himself. Like this yeah. crew should be like squeaky clean, A plus personal hygiene. And they're not, I don't really understand. When he understand scratches it. his head with his like long nails. Yeah. Like, Dude, you live in a bathhouse. He's probably a better pirate, but we just don't see it. So we have to advance Angelica. Marissa, your thoughts. I agree. Um, I don't. I agree with what you guys were saying with how Sal Fang didn't get as much movie time as Angelica did. Angelica's obviously from start to finish. Um, so we didn't get to see as much character development as much as we had hoped for but on the other hand when he dies on the ship and makes elizabeth captain and then makes her one of the pirate lords and then she ends up being pirate king and then takes them into battle mm-hmm. and then they end up winning mm-hmm. so if sao fang didn't die that wouldn't have happened so it's like it's just all this connecting. Yeah, he's a plot but, device more than anything, is what I would sure. say. Yeah, so it wasn't like he was just there to make the story totally more believable to where Elizabeth could get there versus you know like he's not that she's not going to be a pirate lord if someone doesn't die from the original pirate lords. Yeah, to take on everything with Calypso and defeating everyone. So I agree, Angelica is higher ranked than Salfang. Totally. There we go. All right. Let's move on to our next matchup. We've got the number four seed, Davy Jones, versus the number 13 seed, Mr. Cotton. This is one of those extremely tough matchups for me because these are two characters I really, really like. For some reason, bottom left quadrant always ends up being my, like, sleeper underappreciated character last episode it was tinkerbell yeah Uh, cotton's that for me this episode absolutely he's one of those extremely minor pirates he's only in the first three movies and so many of these movies are focused on the captains sparrow barbosa davy jones that you kind of lose the focus on the crew of the ship and it takes a crew to run a pirate ship and Mr. Cotton is the best of the best when it comes to being a crewman on a pirate ship parrot imagery super key in pirate culture right yep and Cotton is the only person who gets a parrot in the pirates franchise that was a mouthful (laughs) gotta love the parrot he's got a quirky physical attribute in that he has no tongue He's old and weathered looking. He's got leathery skin. You know he's got so many things that he's seen and so many stories to tell. And yet he can't, which is like the irony. And there's definitely some humor in that. He never causes a fuss. He's just a really loyal and reliable guy. Unfortunately, he only really gets one big moment that I can remember, and that's in World's End when Cotton is the one at the helm that steers the pearl out of the maelstrom. So he's got the clutch gene. We know that. Yep. So, I mean, if you think about it, everyone might be dead if not for Mr. Cotton. He's going up against Davy Jones. DJ, 
David Jones. David Jones is honestly one of my favorites on this bracket. Um, mm-hmm. And this is maybe a hot take, maybe not, but I think he's one of the best developed characters in Pirates of the Caribbean. At the very least, he's one of the most efficiently best developed characters in that he's only kind of in one and a half movie. He's got uh, you know, clear motivations and he's got his past that's kind of been touched on and that he's got the, the heartbreak in his past. We've got uh, some things that make him really annoyed. He really hates seeing uh, people in love. And that just comes from like his his past. Also, he's written as like a horror movie monster, and that he's yeah. got rules to him, and he has a, a special way that you can kill him in stabbing the heart. Uh, and if you hold the heart, you can control him. It's pretty cool, and it makes him easy to understand as a character and as a villain. But that's kind of like doesn't really have much to do with him as a pirate. It's just like, I really appreciate Davy Jones. Davy Jones, I think is kind of an embodiment of like toxic masculinity and that he's jilted by a woman and then just like cuts out his own heart. And then he right. copes with the heartbreak by just being an extremely violent person. Uh, and in a way though, that, that violence is part of being a pirate. And that's really what pirate culture is. Unfortunately, it is kind of a toxic masculinity thing. Uh, it's, it's a disregard for other people. It's nothing having nothing to lose. It's reckless abandonment. Davy Jones is literally a slimy person. He's got tentacles on his <laughs> face. For me, there's just too many positives for Davy Jones. I just love seeing him on screen. I think he's a top-tier villain. He made our villains bracket, which, I mean, yep. for the entire Disney library to make a, a villains bracket, uh, that's got to count for something. I love Cotton. Don't get me wrong. Love Cotton. I think he's the best crewman behind, like, Joshimi, but uh, I, I got to go DJ. Yep, I'm with you. It's Davy Jones. Love Cotton as well, but Davy Jones is just too much of a pirate for this one. Marissa, uh, we had brought up Cotton earlier, and you had you had liked that pick. Uh, what are your thoughts about us leaving him behind? I am one of those people that loves the underdog in situations, and I do like Davy Jones. I agree with Chris and how he mentioned about the character development and his backstory. I love that part of the film where he he becomes very vulnerable, and that's a lot. That's yeah. a key word that a lot of pirates don't hit on in the series and when you become vulnerable and you're just like oh shoot that's why he's like this it it really makes you like a character so that's why I do like Davy Jones but I love Cotton like I am one of those team players of you know, he doesn't care. He just wants to be a part of the sea. He just wants to be a true pirate. And he's just like, yeah. Like, I love my crew. I love my captain. I love this and that. And then one of my favorites, though, in World's End, when the when Marty's like, the enemy is here. Let's take him. And everyone's like, yeah. And then his parrot just Takes dips. off, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, abandoned shit. Yeah, where's Cotton's parrot on this bracket? <laughs> like, yeah, for That's real. That's where I was like, honestly, like, Cotton's parrot. And he's the face of the ride when you get in there. <laughs> when you're like, I'm here, I'm in AC, and I see this pirate, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
yes. <laughs> like, I love Cotton's parrot. He's just so, yeah. His parrot ends I up in Cotton. the uh, in the tiny black pearl that ends up in the bottle that Blackbeard captures. Yes. Well, yeah. so does Monkey Jack. <clears throat> so does the monkey. Yep. All right, let's the move animals. on down. We have moved on, Davy Jones. We are going to talk about the number five Elizabeth Swan versus number twelve Marty. I'm gonna start with my boy Marty. Um, <laughs> Marty, let's go. Marty's a real one, everybody. <laughs> Marty is a real one. Home Jack goes as a sheep. Ca- he, <laughs> he's <laughs> down for the cause, no matter what cause it is. He's he's always just ready to fight and he always has just this massive gun that he is just firing at will um marty is a little person and unfortunately that makes him the butt of most visual gags in the series yep um so as far as our political correctness goes that probably shouldn't be the case um but a lot of the scenes in which he's shown, there's a lot of visual gags with him. He has a, his guns are always oversized. He always is getting blasted back when he fires them, in Dead Men's Chest when they're captured by the tribe on that island. He can't run with them in the cage because they lift it up. So, unfortunately, that's how they portray him. But he's also just like a badass in general. He's he's one of the few to survive the Kraken attack so he he's like he's able just to survive literally everything i mean when they're trying to find the end of the world and they're going through the um i get i guess like the south pole the north pole wherever there's a lot of ice like he survives there Southang's men have toes fallen off like he's as you brought up a survivor and that's a big part of being a pirate is surviving these many trials He's up against Elizabeth Swan, who didn't start out in this universe as a pirate. She actually hated them and was actually kidnapped by them and learned that her government and their navy did not align with her ideals. And really, she closer aligned to the pirate way of life, which is like this weird justice thing and fighting authority that she grew up in. And she recognized that she, this authority that she was raised by is not right. And especially when you get to like Cutler Beckett and everything that he's doing, which is essentially the spread of colonialism and, and slave trade and killing people for really no reason other than to make it so that they have the clear trade routes. And, and so she takes a side and the side is pirate um here when you're up against marty if you're crowned the pirate king like you're a pretty good even if it fell into your lap she's still able to rally the troops to fight beckett's crew with davy jones like she she fully embraces her pirateness in those scenes will it be enough to carry her on further i'm not sure but in this matchup for me chris i'm going elizabeth over marty I like that you brought up the way Elizabeth was introduced to the franchise. Uh, she's very like intrigued by the pirate culture because she comes from this like sheltered upbringing. Unfortunately, I would describe that more as like a titillation and that she's almost like, I don't want to say it, but I'll say it like sexually excited by like the pirate stuff. 
Sure. I th- I think that's kind of like mishandled and a misstep by Disney because you could they could have made it a genuine interest in becoming a pirate, but the way that she kind of slips out of the pirate at the end of the first movie is kind of unfortunate. Like she falls for the dashing rogue Will Turner when mm-hmm. she d- has displayed tons of pirate attributes throughout Curse of the Black Pearl. She right. has that fantastic one-liner when she teams up with Will. You like pain? Try wearing a corset. Like, so good. <laughs> she uh, is clowning on the pirates that come raid the mansion at the beginning of the movie. Like, she has all of the assets. The writers of the script had the opening to make her a pirate, and they just made her just a basic, like, object at the end of the movie. And I think they realized that, and that's why they kind of course-corrected and made her the pirate king in... Uh, at World's at End. World's End. World's End. Yep. So I, I like that pivot. I really do. Um, Marty, we don't get a lot of Marty. We really don't. <laughs> I think he's very, very underutilized in the franchise. Like you said, there's a lot of ableist humor. What I think they should have done with Marty, I mean, they are a pirate crew who is set on doing heists and thieving and scheming. And they've got this person of short stature who could be utilized in any number of ways to perform these schemes. Marty could have been like the MVP of the pirate crew because he's unlike any other person on that ship, but they don't do it. They just do all these sight gags of him, like blowing himself up or having a really large man be the person he's fighting against. I don't know. It's just unfortunate. Here's the thing with Elizabeth Swan. She gets crowned the Pirate King, and then she stops being a Pirate King. We see her at the end of Dead Men Tell No Tales, and she's just on a beach in a dress. She has given up the pirate life. Marty never gives up the pirate life, and that's (laughs) why Marty is the better pirate. And Elizabeth Swan goes down for me, which means we're going to a tiebreaker. Marissa, who is the better pirate, Marty or Elizabeth Swan? Okay. So... As I said in the last round, I'm always for the underdog. However, as much as I love Marty and Come on, that now. scene when they're escaping the village, and let me just say, like that was some weird stuff. I was when he when Jack like opened his eyes and then his real eyes came up. I was like, "What is happening here?" Looking at all the moments with Marty and. I love him. He could have been a... He is the team, just like Cotton is. Everyone has to pitch in on a crew. If you are on a boat like that, like, if you don't do your part, you guys are all screwed. So, like, as much as I want to go with Marty, Elizabeth, everything that has been said, she didn't start off as a pirate, She, but she develops in a way to where... You know, I'm going to go against everything that I've been told in my life and just leave that life. But then leaving the Pirate King life, that technically... Like, what are you doing? Why would you not... ever leave that? Like, you are the Pirate King. Marty was a pirate before I... Elizabeth Swan was a pirate. Marty was a pirate <laughs> after Elizabeth Swan was a pirate. And, you know, That's I so get that. To me. But on the other hand... <laughs> Like, she just had, like, she had her wedding during a battle, and I can't even imagine going through that. 
nonsense of just pouring rain. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're fighting for your life. You're fighting for what they believe in. And the love of your life just dies in your arms. And I feel like with that moment, she was like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can handle being hurt like that again. But then with Davy Jones and the curse and everything where part of the crew, part of the ship, everything like that, she, I don't think she really anticipated that because she was like, I'm not leaving Will. I'm not leaving my man. Like, this is the promise I just made like five minutes ago that I'm never going to leave his side. And the only way that she can do that is if she leaves the pirate life. So, fight me if you want on that take, but the only way if she can see Will every one, once every 10 years is if she stays on land and leaves the pirate life. That's my take, and plus, she, we end up, she ends up getting pregnant and everything like that, and she didn't want her son to be grown up in that environment, and that's what Bootstrap wanted for Will. He didn't want Will to be a pirate. And that's another person we'll obviously talk about later. So, for that case where Elizabeth left the pirate life, I think that she did that in the goodness of her heart and she had the best intentions. It wasn't because she wanted to leave that pirate king life and her snarky remark when they're on the when they're on the little strip of land and little and Davy Jones has to have the buckets walking <laughs> through when they're making the where she brags about it. She actually likes being a pirate, but it was it was more so of Will and being the way that she can't go with him. So the only way is to go back to land and leaving that life is if she wants to see him once every 10 years. So all in all, long story short, I'm passing. I'm I'm moving Elizabeth on. Fair yeah, enough. Marty. I love Marty, but that's my take. Fair enough. Elizabeth Swan moves on to the round of eight. So we're going to hop over to the other side of the bracket where we've got the number two seed Barbosa versus the number 15 Bootstrap Bill. I'll make this short. Bootstrap Bill is absolute trash. This man yep. was never cut out for the pirate's life. He's, first of all, the nerd who doesn't want a mutiny against Jack <laughs> on the Black Pearl. So Barbosa himself, who he's up against, ties Bootstrap to a cannon. Bye-bye, Bootstrap. We meet Bootstrap of Bill again on the Flying Dutchman. He is a huge sad sack. He sacrifices himself for Will during the Liar's Dice game, which is totally not a pirate move, in my opinion. That's just a dumb person move, honestly. Like, that's just, <laughs> like, why would you do that? Uh, he also does a 180 in his character. Like, in the second movie, he's like, Will, go away. Like, you don't want this life. Like, leave me alone. And then in the next movie, it's like, Will said he'd come back for me. Like, Will, like, come back, Will. It's like, dude, <laughs> shut it, man. Like, make up your mind. Uh, also, in another bonehead bootstrap Bill play, he goes 1v1 versus Davy Jones. And Davy Jones is about to crush bootstrap Bill's face in. And uh, he's lucky that he didn't. Will and oh, Jack man. save the day there. Bootstrap Bill is terrible. This might be the most one-sided matchup in Mouse Madness history. I got Hector Barbosa <laughs> in a landslide. 
It's definitely a Barbosa. Barbosa is going on. There's no way that bootstraps moving. Uh, Come you're on, right. Man. His 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 flip flopness is something. Maybe as he became part of the ship, he was just like, ah, you know what? I don't actually like being the wall of this cell. Uh, some some little fun facts. We love throwing out some fun facts of of our discussions here. You'll notice that Barbosa is probably the most classically sounding pirate as far as like what you think a pirate sounds like oh yeah um jeffrey rush really leans into that and that pirate voice has its roots really in disney history so if you think about how pirates sound now a lot of that came from um an actor named robert newton who portrayed long john silver in disney's 1950s uh treasure island as well as Blackbeard in uh, Blackbeard the Pirate in 1952 from Disney. So um, essentially, Robert Newton developed this voice characteristic based on the Treasure Island novel and seeing how it was written, felt like these pirates would have this, what he called like a Western accent, um, and then accentuated the R's in a lot of the cases. So Robert Newton is kind of the grandfather of how pirates are sounding and why we think they sound that way. And so it's kind of a nice nod that the next big pirate movie is a big callback to the very first one that Disney made. So that's a fun fact for everybody. Hector Barbosa moves on because bootstrap is not great. (laughs) Agreed. Barbosa is wonderful. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup here. We got number seven, Pintel and Rigetti versus number 10, Armando Salazar. Let me tell you how let down I was that Salazar had to be in the fifth movie. Because I think that character is terrifying, and I love him. I almost think that that's what they wanted Curse of the Black Pearl's like idea of like undead ghost pirates the cgi what they wanted to do it, it sure did that's what they wanted to do is like these pirates who are perpetually trapped underwater because their ship went down and like now they're these undead cursed beings yeah um but really in what 2004 they were like just make them skeletons and <laughs> like we know how to do that so we don't know how to make kind of they kind of like know how to do skeletons so I was really impressed by that. And just kind of like, uh, he's just gross. And un- like un- everything about him is just a little creepy. Chris, he gives me big, um, like kind of Darth Vader vibes where he's really shifty. And he's so like, he- so when he first meets uh, Henry Turner and he's asking him where the sparrow is, if he knows where the sparrow is. And he's being like almost really polite. And he's saying, please and he's just trying to get some information that kind of like uh, juxtaposition between what he's saying and what he looks like puts me on edge like i don't know what he's gonna do next like is he gonna lash out is he gonna turn around and leave like we discussed that with darth vader and just how like his mask and his and how calm he remains through everything makes him a really good villain because he you can't predict what his next move is and with salazar there are glimmers of that there's also times where he's just full rage just full rage you know so um i liked that part 
of Salazar's character. But he's up against Pintel and Rigetti, and, like, you made a very strong case for Marty as being, like, this dude is a pirate. Like, to me, Pintel and Rigetti are also, like, these dudes are pirates, like, for sure. Um, what makes them even more pirates than Armando is Armando wasn't a pirate to start with. He was no. a Navy captain for the Spanish Navy, and he was a pirate hunter. And him being wronged by Jack and then locked up in this curse in the Bermuda Triangle or wherever they are turned him into this pirate being when really he just still hates pirates. He's not like Davy Jones, who's like a pirate who is just mad and sad and heartbroken and is taking out his anger on everybody. Salazar is like, I'm trying to get Jack because he's the one I've been hunting this entire time. So like you brought up a very good point about Elizabeth. Like Marty was a pirate for much longer than Elizabeth was. Armando never was a pirate. He just yeah. happens to be the villain in a pirates movie. Pintel and Rigetti are great. I will let you dive into them, but I'm moving Pintel and Rigetti on just based on that casualty. Yeah, honestly, I find Salazar to be extremely boring, both as a character and as a pirate. I, I agree with <laughs> what you're saying, and I had never actually considered just like it, the way his presence is kind of intimidating and the way he does remain calm under pressure is kind of the opposite of <laughs> the power that he has. But Pinto and Rigetti's absence was felt in yeah. the last couple of Pirates movies. Totally they serve as this comic relief that at times does misfire, but a lot of times it really hits for me. And having those kind of bumbling guys on a pirate crew is essential. It really is. I, like I said, I got a kick out of Rigetti reading the Bible in dead man's chest. Uh, You get points for trying. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Pintel is this kind of schemer guy, and he has this unfounded ambition that I think is really funny. And honestly, they're not even that bad of pirates. They're pretty intimidating, especially in Curse of the Black Pearl. From Elizabeth's point of view, they're the ones who enter the governor's mansion, and she's kind of dealing with them. But they're scary in the moment. And also, yo... Rigetti had a clutch moment in Dead Man's Chest when the Kraken is yeeting people into the ocean, <laughs> yeah. and Elizabeth gets taken by a tentacle, and Rigetti like chops it. Like that's a heroic yep. moment for a character who is positioned as being extremely bubbling. You can make the argument that like he was probably cowering in the captain's quarters in that moment, but like when it came down to it, he performed a Made very heroic action, right? I also love that they like snuck onto the crew in Dead Man's Chest, and like Gibbs just like didn't even question. It. He's like, "Oh, hey, you guys are here. Great, great, cool, cool, cool." Uh, like I said, I, I, I mean, I love these guys. I think we can talk about maybe their effectiveness as a pirate in the next round. They're going against Barbosa. Good luck, but certainly against Salazar, I got him uh, pretty easily with with uh, the upset. Uh, not even an upset. They got they're they're seated higher than Salazar, so. Totally. They are going to advance. Marissa, kind words for Pintel and Rigetti. Oh, I love them. They're some of my favorite characters in the whole. They just they bring that humor in of serious moments of negotiation or like if there's something going on with the crew, like they're in there being like, hey, like, you know, cut it out. Like we need to figure this out and everything like that. There were so many moments. 
one of my favorites when we first got introduced to them. They were very scary, but also, like, in a way, not calming, but more so of, like, when she says parlay and she knows, like, I'm screwed, like, I know that I can use this word, and he's like, wait, what? Like, what did you just say? You know about us? You know something? Right. Like, and he's just like, oh, okay. And he, like, actually listens to her. And that's another thing that I love about Pintella Rigetti is that they're so loyal to the code of piracy. And they're like, the code, the code, the code. They just want to be so loyal to the pirate code, to their ship, to their crew, to everything. And when they were going to be, like, the the distraction in... um curse of the black pearl when they're rowing the boat and dressed as women and wearing the parasol or using the parasols (laughs) and just like yeah like we're we're the distraction you know like we're not gonna go kill the other people we're gonna be the distraction and like that's how we got introduced to them i think they were hilarious through everything and when they were trying to get onto the island with everyone and their boat flips and they're reading the bible like we already mentioned like it they're hilarious i like salazar as a character but not as like a i couldn't even understand him sometimes but that goes along with his character so that's okay but pintel and rigetti all the way all right let's move on to the next matchup number three will turner versus number 14 henry turner we've got a father-son matchup here i'm gonna make this one quick as well this is an easy one henry is so vanilla as a character. Yeah. And honestly, I don't even think he's a pirate. He doesn't even do anything piratey. He doesn't attempt to do anything piratey. He doesn't even really do anything heroic. He's just like a guy. Um, talk about Will. Not really sure what his situation was for Dead Man's Tell No Tales, but I think he should have probably done more in that movie. There was like a clear link in Dead Man Tell No Tales with like Salazar being undead and Will being the shepherd of souls who die at sea. And they just like, right. they never met up. It was really kind of lame. He does a lot of good stuff in the first three movies, a lot of pirate stuff. And I think we can talk that about that next episode because Henry is just going nowhere fast. Got Will turned yeah. to advancing. Yeah, Henry was one of the major problems of that fifth movie. And I feel like the the writer spent so much time trying to develop Karina as a character mm-hmm. and and then added Henry in to kind of tie all of the sagas together. Even with Jack there, like people were itching to see like what happened to the kid that we saw post credits uh at after At World's End. Like we know they had a kid. What became of that kid? And they're like, Oh shoot, wait. They're supposed to have a kid. This could be a perfect moment to bring back this kid. Let's write a kid character who can like be the love interest of our strong female lead. And it was he's just an awful character. They he's wrote him so, so lame. They wrote him so lame. He's just um, like a guy. I did like, yeah, I did like how he had his um there was a callback, I think, unless it was completely coincidental. Jack and Henry are in the boat. Uh, the little rowboat trying to escape the the undead sharks, which that's a whole other issue. Oh like, my! Why God. are these sharks? Undead? <laughs> that was what I. It I, took why, me like an hour to finish the last fifteen minutes of that movie. Why do they listen with the to sharks. him? Why do Why do they? Why Why? So, anyways, forget forget <laughs> the sharks. But they're trying to get away from Salazar's crew, 
and the sharks are coming and Henry knows to distract them with Karina's dress and they'll think it's a human and they'll attack that instead. It's very much like how Elizabeth distracted the crew to get them to Tortuga by making the dress look like a ghost, both using that same kind of device to distract to get the characters to where they need to go. So I could be really picking at straws here, but I thought that was a cool moment of like, he is Elizabeth's son. So like there could be something that anyways, he's moving on. It is art (laughs) and you can interpret it however you want. And I will not take that away from you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, Marissa, any love for Henry? Are you okay with seeing him go? No, no, I'm fine with him leaving. It's okay. I, I like Will Turner. Um, he's not my favorite in the series, obviously, but in this round, head-to-head of father and son, I will pick Will Turner. All right. We have made it to the last matchup of this round of 16. It's number six, Joshua Gibbs versus number 11, Karina Smith, who we just talked about a little bit right now. Karina Smith is also interesting. Henry and Karina both, I think, de- they're certainly not pirates, but they're almost pirates by association. Uh, just by them having to go after this freaking trident, which is also just so lame. Why was the why was the progression of this saga like from like cursed gold, which is fantastic, love it, to like the heart of an of a a bad guy, which is like that's clever, that's cool, to the fountain of youth, like no. And then Poseidon's trident, which controls the ocean. It's like the Infinity Gauntlet. It's like Thanos' trident, basically. If we knew that existed, pirates, if we knew the Fountain of Youth existed, Barbosa, why weren't you after that instead of the treasure in that first movie? And it's just... I sat in the theater so stoked to see this fifth pirate movie because I was like, they're going to correct course. I did not like On Stranger Tides. I liked what they were going with it, but maybe they'll correct course here, and they did not. Karina Smith, I think, is an awesome character. I love that she is into the sciences. I love that she inherited that kind of love from her dad that she's never met but wants to continue it because it fascinates her. I feel like they kind of stuck that, like, too hard with her. Like, she couldn't be anything else but the scientist, so... Even though she was a scientist, she was a scientist, so therefore, magic doesn't exist. There can't be any other explanations, which is interesting, Chris, because we just got off a movie with like this big religious undertone, and now they're heading straight into the sciences to then also comment that like maybe there's a little bit of both working there, right? Like they literally split the ocean. It's a it's an actual Moses reference. The the seas <laughs> yeah. parted I for this. I thought about that. I was like, we're in the Old Testament now, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the seas parted for this for the for the other side, and the other side was control of the ocean. Like it, it's it's interesting. She's up against Joshua Gibbs, who is if you think of like the connection from like the ride to the movie, Joshimi feels very much that connector. He's yes. kind of like, yes. he's, he's not only very resemblant of animatronics within the ride, 
but he also contains the lore. He's the story yep. guy. He's yes. he's an obvious plot device, but it's I think it's super important because I think that part of being a pirate is having this lore and mythology knowledge behind you. Sailors are always telling stories. That's literally how most of our history books were written. Were yep. stories told by sailors. And so to have this character who just knows everything from stories from experience really leans into the pirateness. That's perfect. He knows <laughs> he knows mermaids, he knows krakens, he knows how Jack got off the island maybe, which turns out to just be a myth, which is all that's the whole pirate thing. You never know what actually is there, but these are the stories to tell to either teach lessons or develop a code or, you know, so Josh B. Gibbs is he's pirate pirate. So he's moving on ah. past Karina uh here. Also, don't forget Gibbs is a huge rum drinker. He's probably top two in drinking yeah. rum in this series, which is another important pirate trait. One thing I really wish Gibbs did was uh, sing. Sea shanties are yes. a really underutilized pirate thing in this franchise because that is kind of a storytelling thing. It's how people pass the time on deck. Really wish that they had done something with that. Karina Same. Smith, like you said, great character i think this was their answer to poorly writing elizabeth swan and uh just just not a pirate unfortunately i did get a kick out of the horologist scene and it gives us yeah. another very small piece of marty information that he had an affair with scrum's mom but <laughs> uh yeah sorry karina not really a pirate i'm also advancing gibbs on marissa we are done this episode is over. Our round of eight is set. What are your thoughts here? I love this. I love our round of eight. I think this is going to be a tough going into the final, or not the final round, but with the conversations going on in the next round, it's going to be fun going to see these names that are going head to head against each other. It's going to, it's going to be interesting. I haven't even fully thought of like, Who's going to go between these people and oh, Yep. Well, it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Good thing we have a week to think about it. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining us for part one. We look forward to seeing you part two to help us decide who truly is the best pirate of the Caribbean. Thank you. I am so, so happy to have been on this episode and I will see you guys next week. Folks, you know how to reach us. You can send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com if you've got any comments on this or any episodes. Follow us on Twitter at mousemadnesspod. Follow us on Facebook or join our Discord server where we're talking Disney all day long. Until next episode, keep a weather eye open. And be just like the other men. I'm tired of moving around.